Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. back to bird's eye view when it comes to the orioles this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion today is may 19th 2014 and this is episode 78 my name is jake english and i'm here with scott the shock jock magnus now if you're listening to my voice right now you've most likely found us at our website which is bird's it's also possible that you found us at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, where you can find Bird's Eye View and a, a group of other fine programs, sister wife podcasts that we encourage you to go find and listen to and enjoy. You can also find us on places like Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist. Have I forgotten one? Mm, the other one has been removed due to copyright infringement right? <laughs> or Check. trademark infringement. Check us out on iTunes. Also find us on social media. You can find us at Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash BEVcast. On Twitter, we're at BirdseyeViewBAL. The show has a YouTube page uh, channel. Come and find us. And if anybody's on Google+, we're there as well. A couple of uh, things to check out. Make sure that you are watching on Tuesday and Thursday nights uh, the post-game live show on channel BSR. Uh, 15 minutes after the game, Tuesday and Thursday, somebody from the B, uh, BSR network will be there to break down the game and to make it all make sense. Yeah, or someone from outside the BSR network, notably Cal from OBP, will be there <laughs> to make Jake look absolutely terrible in comparison. I was lonely. That's fine. You just you still look terrible compared to Cal. I mean, Cal is he? Ooh. I had a good night that night, let's just say. Oh, Lord. We're doing this already? Yeah. All right. Also, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you're going to purchase something on Amazon, do it through the link at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us keep the lights on. It really helps us out. Thanks so much. So, Scott, with that, how about we talk about the drink of the week? Well, Jake, I am going with a single hop Emilio Imperial IPA from Dog, a Flying Dog, which you may remember from last week because I have not restocked my beer selection. Okay. Thanks for keeping up the high standards of this program. I called you from the liquor store and asked you if you needed anything. Um, you're right. And I still had like four beers left in you my fridge. You accused me of not doing enough prep for this show. Right. Okay. What, well, what beer did you get? I, based on our conversation last week, uh, picked up a six-pack of Dead Rise, the Old Bay-infused summer ale from Flying Dog, and I'm enjoying it. So we're going with the two beers that we pretty much talked about all last week. No, last week I had myself... A winking. I understand that, but we talked about the dead rise beer. Don't you try to climb out of this, Scott Magnus? You are a boring drinker tonight. Okay, so we are in a rut, Orioles uh, fans. Let's move on to the next segment. Let's go to the medical wing. Speaking about ruts, Matt Weeders, um, there's been some information that has come out. Um, he will be, uh, he's eligible to come off the DL on May 26th, but he will not be coming off, according to Buck Walter. This past week, he had a uh, PRP injection. And, um, Jake, delaying the inevitable? I think so. I think it's moving the deck chairs on the Titanic at this point. Yeah, so um, definitely not encouraging. Um, I'm kind of not big on the whole PRP injection, which is basically a uh, plasma-rich platelet injection. And um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But let me say it didn't solve uh, Dylan Bundy's uh, career last year. So Didn't Zach Britton also have it when he had his shoulder issue a couple years ago? He did, yeah. And he didn't get back until halfway through the season. You know, the ups and downs emotionally with... Uh, Chris Davis also had it, too. That's true. The, so. the ups and downs emotionally with Matt Weeders is, is crazy because, you know, you find out he's hurt and suddenly you're down. And then he goes to see Dr. Death Andrews and comes out saying he doesn't necessarily need surgery and you're up. And now he's getting the PRP injection and it looks like maybe surgery is something he should look into after all and we're down. Yeah. 
this is this is tough as an Orioles fan to, to the Matt Weeders arm injury experience. It's it's a hell of a ride. That's a good point. At least he's not going to go see Doctor Fassbender though. That is true. Yeah. So there's always an encouragement. Uh, another note I wanted to make on the medical wing, which is actually something I wrote about last week, and that is Francisco Piguero, Piguero mm-hmm. um, who is on a rehab uh, assignment. He's probably running out of days at this point and could make uh, a roster decision uh, very difficult, especially if David Lowe continues to be terrible. Yeah, Nolan Reynolds also eligible to come off the DL pretty soon as well. Okay. Yeah, I'll believe that. Sure. Okay, but Francisco Guerrero is actually interesting because in his rehab assignments, he's been raking the ball lately. So yeah, but he also fits that category of what we need in a fourth outfielder, which is somebody who can back up Adam Jones in center. Right. And earlier this season, when we were talking in spring training, Dan Duquette was really high in Guerrero. He was a top prospect in the Giants organization. Uh, I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. We're going to love David Lowe. Oh, okay. Right, we're going right, to love right. David Lowe because David Lowe is a is a great player. All right, well, with that, let's go to uh, let's go to the twat this week on the Twitters. Okay, there was a tweet earlier this week um, regarding Earl Weaver, and it was on Hardball Times. Um, and it was posted by Utah Street Report, um, but I thought it was a great article. Um, I would definitely go and um, search it. It was called Earl Weaver in the Malleable Process, and I thought it was just a great you know, look back at Earl Weaver and, you know, some of the saber metrics, the ties that he has and how influential he was towards baseball and how great or read um, his novel was and why it should be a, a must read this summer when you, while you're at the beach. So just recommend going and reading the article. And when you, you know, go to the Amazon link on our site, buy it on your Kindle and read it at the beach this week, this summer. Um, next topic I want to talk about was being called out. Um, Jake, you and I weren't on Twitter on Friday night, and um, we were called out for it. Um, Chris Maurer, who was posted at MaurerFTW, says, apparently at Bird's Eye View BAL and at B. Morris have better things to do tonight. Hashtag priorities. Well, maybe. Did did we win that night? We did win. Uh, yeah, we won that with that. That was the night that Chris Tillman had a complete game. Oh, that's right. I was listening on the radio. I had uh, had some people over for dinner. Yeah, so needless to say, if we stay off Twitter, our starting pitchers go deep into the game? That does look more likely. Okay. Um, next, going back to uh, to some other folks from the Baltimore Sports Report Network, I wanted to uh, I wanted to point out that Twitter can be hard sometimes. Um, BSR, that's the Ball Sports Report, um, tweeted out, I apologize for letting everyone down with a tweet that isn't up to your high-quality standards. Go back to reading your BuzzFeed lists. It's hard out there. Yeah. Also on the Twitters this week, something interesting from May 15th during a particularly unfortunate Chris Davis at bats. Uh, Joe Papa at Joe Papa, uh, which is of course is Joe Pa from the OBP podcast writes, I have a theory on Chris Davis's struggles, but it's not for Twitter. You tease Joe Pa. You're such a tease. It's a uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah, you know how much I love the conspiracy oh, God, theories. Joe Pa. What are you doing? Just, putting that Pandora's box out there for Twitter. And, uh, last thing I had on the Twitter this week's, uh, this week was, uh, from Dan Brooks at Brooks baseball who wrote, not really sure the Miggy contract makes sense. He's of course talking about, uh, Miguel Cabrera, but right now he's the best pure hitter in baseball. So who cares about nine years from now? Cause as long as your owner doesn't care, then what's the big deal? Hey, it's only money. Exactly. Well, speaking about money and making decisions, um, like to go through the past week and go through a few things that well people have had beefs about. So let's go talk about decisions. Oriole fans with beefs? I don't know. Now, the Orioles are currently two games over 500, and despite being a mere half game out of first place, 
and sitting in front of 10 other teams in the AL and the wildcard standings. And by the way, holding down that number two spot. So if the playoffs were to end today, there are a <laughs> lot of unhappy Orioles fans out there. Now, people have a lot of things to complain about. And one of them has been Buck Showalter. Some have raised the question, should we be applying more heat to Buck Showalter? Now, a good example of this is a recent article that we we saw on I Hate JJ Reddick, which is entitled, After 585 Games, It's Okay to Start Questioning Showalter. And I encourage you to go out and read that um, so that I'm not merely cherry-picking <laughs> arguments. Maybe um, you get yourself you know, a sandwich, put some ranch on it, and have at it. <laughs> with which to, I'm not just cherry-picking things to, to argue with. Yeah. But um, basically the point of the, the article was, hey, it's been long enough. We've seen Buck Showalter. We've seen all of his good parts. We've seen all of his warts. And this guy doesn't walk on water. It's okay to start challenging Buck Showalter's decision-making. He's, he's not, you know, too holy to go after. And, um, you know, outside of this article, around town, you see a lot of things that Showalter gets beat up on. Uh, for instance, he's too loyal to his guys. And we've seen that manifested itself in a couple of ways. First of all, with, with lineup management and then with the closer situation. Sure. And keeping certain players in the lineup more than we think that we, they should. Ryan Flaherty is a notorious player in that regard of just being like, why is he still in the lineup? And, and also lineup placement. Right. You know, I sure. mean, people are starting to talk about Manny Machado and should he really be in the, the two hole or, you know, should Adam Jones still be in the four hole or well, same thing with Chris Davis. Should Chris Davis be the cleanup hitter? Absolutely. Yep. You know, should player a be in slot B? Right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's basically what it comes down yeah. to. Um, you know, and there, there is certainly an argument to be made there. Um, the one thing I will say with the Orioles right now is you pick a lineup, you know, you pick an order for these guys. Is it that they're in the wrong order or that they're not getting it done? There's other issues, too, that, you know, have come up in the past week. And that's kind of, you know, rearranging the jack chairs in this regard with the lineups. And it's looking at the reliever situation with having Evan Meek come up, having Brad Brock brought up, having TJ McFarlane gone up. And this whole ever-going, ongoing rotation of who's going to be the last person left in that bullpen and this constant roster fluctuation and what does that actually mean? What does, why are we keeping a bunch of quadruple players coming in and out, in and out of this organization? You know, it, we really need to have more depth in this organization and, you know, Buck's not, you know, keeping it consistent enough. And also, is it, is it bullpen being taxed because of a loyalty issue with the starters? You know, are the starters not getting it done and yet Buck won't, you know, is he, is he not quick enough on the hook? Is he too quick? You know, is he not demoting people at the right time or soon enough? You know, is he going with the same five that are being ineffective? And is that costing the team wins because he's too stubborn to do anything otherwise? Sure. People always say, you know, up, he left him in a little bit too long. You know, he tried to let him get out of that jam, but he didn't. That's what Buck always does. You know, it's just not quite the right way to do it. Buck always is pushing his guys, but sometimes he pushes them too long. Um, but you're right. There's been a lot of complaints about sticking with the starters and not making any moves in the rotation. And then we were dealt with the situation this past Wednesday with Kevin Gossman being brought up in Miguel Gonzalez's role and then promptly being sent back to Norfolk after one start. After one start on an incredibly short rest. This is a completely... Four-day rest. Okay. It's a completely baffling move. Because the thing is, is that if Kevin Gossman, and I think it was three days rest, if Kevin Gossman is in a situation where he's not at his best, okay? Okay. Short rest, doesn't matter, three or four days. He's not at his best. He's been held back from a pitch count standpoint. Right. That says to me, those two factors say to me, he is not ready to pitch Major League games. To go ahead and put him in that situation was asking for failure from the start. And if you're going to go ahead and serve him up on a tee to the Tigers, at least have him be there. At least have that be the first of many starts, right? Because if you bring a guy up, he should be ready to go. I don't understand what they were doing with, with Kevin Gosman. And the thing that, that baffles me, and we'll get back to this in a mm-hmm. minute, is that we don't know all the moving parts. You know, we don't, we don't know the ins and outs of the, the decision making process. We don't know why of all of the other guys Buck Showalter has to his disposal, Kevin Gosman was the best choice. Um, okay. 
you know, I've been really trying to think about this because I know there's been a major uproar on Twitter and everything about this, and I've been trying to come to some realization for it. So the first discussion point was, well, they moved Chen back a day so he could pitch against the Royals. But I kind of agree with you to a certain extent that that doesn't make sense. Why do you throw Gossman out there? Why don't you throw McFarland or somebody else and just say, sure. you're fodder, go at Verlander and have at it. But my question would be, what's the big deal that he got roughed up for one start? There isn't a big deal if it if it's just the part of something else. You know, if it's just a part of something else, absolutely, and, and he's going to stay at the majors, I don't mind it. But you just send him back, and poof, he's gone. Right. The other thing that raises, you know, is interesting is you know once Gonzalez was out of the, out of the rotation, I thought to myself, okay, they brought Gossman up. Even if they don't stick with Gossman, they're going to bring somebody up again for the pirate series or they're going to skip over Gonzalez again and they're going to keep Gonzo out of the rotation long enough where we can kind of see who is available in the organization. So I really was expecting to actually see Mike Wright um, up later this week. Um, maybe not against the pirates, but maybe at, at home this weekend. And it doesn't appear like that that's going to be the case. So um, it's a really baffling move. I, I don't quite understand it. I thought if, if Mike Wright would have came up next week or this week, I could have understood it, but the fact that that didn't happen and Gonzo's pitching this week against the Pirates, I, I don't have anything. I, and, I'm and confused. The other thing that it opens the door for is criticism that we're ruining Kevin Gosman's development. That that the these moves are going to be a a staller for Kevin Gosman turning into the pitcher that he needs to be for the Orioles. Now, I'm not a a pitching expert. I am not a major league. But I did stay the holiday last night. So I, I can't determine whether or not that's the case. However, observation has told me the Orioles really suck at developing pitching. Do you have a track record for that or historical example? Yeah. Do you have like 35 minutes for me to go through just the names? Can you give me some years? Sure. Um, 2000. 1994 to now. Yeah. To, yeah right. <laughs> I was going to say 2000 to now, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so this is, this is one of those really frustrating decisions because a, we don't understand the logic and B, it just looks bad all around and C, it was a bad result. We lost the game. Um, now stepping away from the questionable move with Kevin Gosman, the last thing I want to talk about is just general strategy that Buck Showalter gets gets nailed on. Uh, first is the defensive alignments, um, you know, with the shift. Yeah, and I think that you find that most fans are okay with the shift because they've seen, you know, uh, a, not a shift, but they've seen a movement toward that with Major League Baseball, and you've seen the Rays use it very effectively. But when we're in a de- when the Orioles are in a defensive shift. Uh, non-traditional alignment and then you see a ground ball get hit right to where a player ought to have been in the standard alignment you know you, you see a lot of people go awry on twitter a lot of stuff is written the day afterward other issues are buckshaw walter's uh use of the challenge systems and his kind of reluctance to do so and use challenges very conservative in his approach and not willing to challenge situations i think ned yost in the kansas city series actually made some really good use of his challenges in very close bang bang plays and just see if it could change the course of the game. And uh it hasn't seemed like Buckshaw Walter really has done that. So he has been getting some flack as well for how he's been using his challenges. So, you know, again, I, I mentioned the I hate JJ Reddick article and and the things that we've talked about here are not necessarily the contents of that article. Again, I encourage you to go out and, and read it. But one of the things that the author did say is that they're sick of hearing the the mantra of Buckshaw Walter knows more than I do, so and yes, that is a silly defense of a manager. But it's also kind of true. If anyone in this, anyone that's listening to us thinks they, they know more than Buck Walter, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. And I don't just mean from a X's and O's baseball perspective. The thing is, is that... No, like Buck Walter could school both of us on Jeopardy. I'm absolutely, absolutely, you know, absolutely, I just know this is the case. Going back to the Gosman thing, you know, yeah. I, I, I said, I don't know why Gosman was the guy to come up and why there were no better options. And the thing is, is that, you know, I'm not in that front office. Yeah. Well, I don't know the medical reports on the other guys. I don't know the transactions that it'll take. And I don't know, you know, impending moves that might be made. 
There are a ton of factors from the front office down to Buck Showalter's preference down to recommendations from uh, uh, Johnson down in sure. AAA that, that we're just not privy to and never will be. Right. Well, if you look at what Norfolk was doing at that time, they had a few people available. One of them, the pitch that would have been on, e- on e- regular rest would have been Yoon. And Yoon has not demonstrated any ability to be a starter right now on the major league level. So Gawson was the next one. I think the individual after that was Johnson. Steve Johnson was the next one. And, of course, Steve Johnson went on to the 78 DL. So looking at those individuals that were actually fresh, it made the most amount of sense to bring McFarland up. The question I would have had was, if you were just going to throw an arm at it, why didn't you just throw Gonzo at it on Wednesday and just say, you're going to go on short rest and you're going to try to get through as much as you can? And I realize it's going to suck, but... Right. Have at it. Why, why not, you know, an org soldier rather than, you know, the great white hope, right. of Kevin Gosman. But, but again, going back to lineup configuration or weird bullpen usage, you don't know when somebody's hurt. And I don't mean, you know, career ending injury. You know, you don't know when somebody's a little banged up. Right. You don't know when somebody's got the flu. You, you don't know. It's the flu. There's a problem and the team doesn't want to disclose it. Um, so I think that fans need to take a, a step back and kind of, Think to themselves, yes, it's absolutely okay to criticize Buck Showalter. Yeah, it's part of this, it's part of this podcast and any sports podcast that you're listening to or sports radio. It's, you know, a good thing for people to, you know, be that manager in the seats and kind of say, you know, I'm not sure if I would have done it that way. But at the same point, you've got to come back and support the decisions made by your manager and just say, Hey, I've got faith in Buck because honestly, yeah, we could have Dave Tremblay in there. Right. And, and the other, the other key thing is, if you're going to criticize, just don't talk out of your ass. That's all. Right. That's all. On this podcast, you know, we, we claim to be a baseless opinion and lack of insight. We, you know, don't take ourselves too seriously with thinking that we know more than we do. So I'm fine with criticism coming from the fans as long as it doesn't step over that line of, well, of course they should do blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and on that note, I just want to mention something that I saw um, at Major League Baseball at large this week, and that was an article by Ken Rosenthal talking about the situation that's going out on out in Arizona. I'm not sure if you caught this, Scott, but Tony La Russa has been named chief baseball officer, which is a new um, position out in Arizona. There's already a GM in place, um, but there are some whispers now about Kevin Towers, the GM, as well as uh, the manager out there in Arizona. And so, you know, people are starting to, people are starting to, to to whisper. And so (laughs) Rosenthal writes in this article about some head scratching moves. And here's his case in point. He writes Friday night. It's the second inning of a scoreless game. The Dodgers wondrous Zach Greinke on the mound. The D backs put runners on first and second with none out. Chris Owings, who was flashing extra base power, even during a two week slump, Step to the plate. So what happened? Gibson, the manager, asked Owens to bunt in front of the D-backs number eight hitter, who at the time was three for 24 on the season with no extra base hits. Owings popped, out, popped up his bunt. The next guy hit into a 4-6-3 double play, and the D-backs went on to lose 7 to nothing. Now, this is the, the misstep by the manager that's been cherry-picked for this particular article. Sure. But again, none of this critique happens if the players execute. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, if the guy bunts over and you now have second and third, y- y- this conversation goes away. It- Rosenthal talks about the number seven hitter going through a three for 24 slump. Oh, but, but you know, he's, he's showing some power. It's easy to second guess. It's easy to say this in hindsight. This was a crazy move. But if the players actually execute the plays that are called, they're not crazy. Right. And I want to take it back to Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter has premium talent on this club. He's got an all-star defensive alignment. He's got guys like Adam Jones and Chris Davis and Nelson Cruz and for a while he had Matt Wieters and J.J. Hardy and Manny Machado, guys with a track record. Why wouldn't you trust these guys? Why wouldn't you trust that you put the right people in place? And let's let's not even talk ourselves into the fact that these guys are bums, because they're not. Uh, Why don't we talk about the fact that you put these guys into the right place and then step back and let them play baseball? Yes, sometimes he's going to make the wrong move, because that's what hindsight will tell us. But let's just ease up on the, on the Buck Showalter uh, hot seat talk. 
you know, Jake, you named some uh, big names there. But in all honesty, in the, over the past week or so, they really haven't been showing very much. So um, I'll just go through last week and just kind of get a feel for what's kind of been going on with the Orioles. Jake, the Orioles have showed uh, minimal offensive production this week. Um, pretty much not scoring any runs against the uh, Royals and, you know, really getting some runs against the Tigers in very inopportune times. Um, you know, folks are going to be quick to point out that the reason for this is due to their aggressive plate discipline. Going back to our previous segment, there's even a uh, poll going up on Utah Street Report asking for Jim Presley to be fired. Um, but is that really the reason why? You know, the Orioles are doing so poorly right now. and I just Yes, of, he's telling them to swing and miss. That is exactly what he's doing. Well, evidently that's the case. So I wanted to go quickly through this, um, and I wanted to go through one of the sabermetric stats, which was um, O swing percentage, which is swinging at the um, swinging at a pitch outside the strike zone. So in 2014, the Orioles are swinging at 33.8%, and they're seeing contact 65.1% of the time. In 2012, they swung at the outside the zone 32.3% of the time, and it had a contact rate of 68.8%. So, again, a little bit higher than last year. And in 2012, they were at 31.7%, and their contact was 65.5%, which is pretty much exactly in terms of contact as accurately as it is this year. So there's only a 2% increase in outside swing this year. But the difference between those years and this year is the Euros are significantly worse in um, you know, many categories. One of them was runs. The other is weighted on base average, where they're 21st in the league with only a 305 weighted on base average. But the one that pops out at me the most is ISO. Jake, do you know what ISO, ISO is? Is that isolated power? That is isolated power. I'm so proud of you right now. The Orioles currently. I would have doubled up on yeah. double jeopardy for that one. The Orioles are currently 23rd in, in Major League Baseball in ISO with a .127. Last year, the Orioles were first in Major League Baseball with an ISO of .171. And in 2012, they were fourth in ISO with a .170. So, Jake, we've had a reduction in ISO of more than .43 points. Seems pretty significant. Yeah, and this offense is one that we've screamed about, the fact that they can only score runs if they're hitting the ball out of the park. And, I mean, if I'm reading this correctly, we are doing so at a far less capacity. Absolutely. And this week was even worse than uh, those numbers that we just gave. This week, in terms of isolated power, the Orioles were 29th this week in ISO with a .073. In terms of weighted on base average, they had a .249, putting them 30th in the league this week. And, um, you say? That's dead last, right? That, that, yeah, it's dead last. Um the other thing I thought was interesting was their batting average for balls in play was only at 255, which put them at 28 this week in terms of uh, Major League Baseball. So it was a bad week at the plate. But I want to step away from just this week, and I want to focus on what's currently going on um, with ISO. And, you know, like I said, Jim Presley has been called, you know, this is his, he's the reason for this. This is their issue. But I don't think ISO is the reason for it. I think, you know, this is a situation where something is going on where the Orioles are not performing like they historically have. Um, and, you know, we've heard these arguments of saying, oh, it's a hitting coach's fault. It's a hitting coach's fault all the time back even when Terry Crowley was a hitting coach for the Orioles. So, Jake, what are your thoughts going into isolated power? Why do you think we're seeing the sudden drop off? Well, I think you're seeing specific players not doing anything near what we're expecting from them. Um, and your key contributors to the reduction are guys like jj hardy jj hardy is getting his hits but he's not driving the ball he's certainly he has yet to hit a home run correct that's correct um you know guys like nick markakis who even in the midst of his great hitting streak was hitting almost exclusively singles absolutely you have guy like uh chris davis who though he had missed a bunch of time with his injury is not driving the ball 
Um, you know, he's, he's doing a better job than most in getting on base because he will still take a walk every now and then. I think he's seen like a 120 point reduction in ISO. I think he's at like 0.139 right now. Uh, and then, you know, Adam Jones, Adam Jones has come on strong in the last week or so. Yeah. But, you know, there were a couple of weeks there where you and I had him in our bad or our ugly category because he simply wasn't pulling the weight again that we would expect. Yeah. Even in the past week, I was looking at that too, because I remember him hitting that home run. Um, but even in terms of isolated power, he's only at like 0.120 this week. So he did have a rough week in terms of isolated power as well. And then, you know, you go further. We've traded in Matt Weeders for Steve Clevenger and Caleb Joseph. Um, you know, left field has been either Nelson Cruz or nothing because David Lowe isn't providing anything. And, uh, you know, the, the other infielders, either Scope or Flaherty or Lombardozzi or what have you. Scope has been hitting the ball out of the park, you know, sometimes. But... Again, we're not getting a lot from those guys. Correct. So going to the players that actually have a higher ISO than last year, um, the point one seven zero that I was talking about, are Nelson Cruz, obviously, Steve Pierce, Matt Wieters, Jamal Weeks in a very limited sample size. Yeah, we'll throw that one out. Yeah. And Steve Clevenger actually is also displaying a, a higher ISO, which I think is interesting that Steve Clevenger is having a higher ISO above the team average as well. That's an encouraging sign, I think, for this team going forward. And that makes some sense. I mean, he hasn't hit a lot of home runs, but he has hit a lot of doubles. And I think that's a big portion of what the Orioles' success was last year was, yes, they hit the long ball, but they also had a ton of doubles last year, which was a huge benefit for them. Sure. I mean, Manny Machado made his made his living on the doubles in the first part of last year. Right. But I wanted to talk about Chris Davis really quickly and find out why, you know, he's been struggling so badly. And, you know, people are going to come back and say, well, the oblique. Well, Joe Pod knows, but he won't tell us. Well, exactly. Joe Pod knows, but he won't tell us. He's going to say that for the next OBP podcast. <laughs> um, but I wanted to, you know, talk briefly about ISO and why Chris Davis is regressing. And I went back to an article last year that was written by Jonah Carey. Um, um, by Chris Davis, and it was called um, Heavy Hitting Chris Davis. Um, and he basically broke out um, batting stances of Chris Davis at the b- end of 2011 and uh, the beginning of 2012, and then looked at it when Chris Davis was on a war path in 2013. And it was really interesting because the positioning and the way he you know, was at the plate in 2012 was very similar to the way he has started off this season. Um, Davis basically strutted into the ball really early and he put himself off balance, which basically dropped his power potential by the time the pitch reached the plate. And when that happens, he basically hit weak grounders to the right-hand side, which is... Wait, wait, I've seen this. Yes, exactly. Um, so I actually recommend everyone to go and read that article and watch some of the, you know, some of the images because it will look exactly like some stuff from this Kansas City series. And we'll go ahead and we'll link that in the show notes for this particular episode. Um, but basically what it is, is by the time the ball is on him he's already completed the stride so far ahead of it that he's basically already through through the pitch and he's basically just knocking into the dirt and it's interesting because if you look at it from last year a lot of those were him resting on his back foot and letting the ball come to him and then him hitting it which i think is interesting from the fact of a lot of the home runs he had last year were opposite field home runs and i kept saying that's really weird that he's always hitting opposite field home runs i know he's got power but it's still really weird that he always does that and just watching these images made me realize, oh, he was waiting and basically using the power from the back in order to basically launch it to the opposite field. So I'm wondering if Chris Davis isn't so much, you know, having a power issue, but if it's just mechanics and saying, I need to wait longer. And I'm being a little too anxious with my swing at this time. All right. So you brought up a lot of numbers here and, and you're trying to use science on me again. Let me yeah. ask you this. Um, do you think it's a physical thing? Or do you think it's in his head? Do you think it's uh, him trying to come back from an injury? Do you think it's him trying to carry the team the way he used to? Or uh, do you think it's simply his mechanics are out of whack and he hasn't been able to make an adjustment? I think it's mentally, and I, thought, I think it's also mechanics. Um, in that article, too, they had a big discussion about Jim Presley being instrumental in changing his batting approach and his batting stance and basically starting to hit for zone and hitting to the opposite side as well. And I think that's going to be a big part of if Chris Davis is able to recover is him abil- his ability to be confident in the plate, but also wait and you know see what the pitcher is willing to offer him as opposed to just going up there and hacking and also dropping the hands down in order to try to get ahead of the thing, uh, ahead of the pitch. So, and, and remember, the Chris Davis of 2012 was still a pretty good player. Oh, absolutely. You know, he wasn't the all-world you know, triple crown threat that he was in 2013. But even if, if Davis were to regress near his 2012 uh, level, 
We're not talking about a terrible player here. Oh, absolutely not. But yeah. what we've seen here in 2014 is not even that. No, it's not. It's much worse in terms of ISO and WOBA and everything. Um, it's much worse than 2012 and 2013. Let's con- even just say 2013 was an outlier. He's well below his 2012 levels. But I think Chris Davis is going to turn it around eventually. Um, but I think it's interesting to note how much of an influence that Jim Presley had on Chris Davis in between that 2012 and 2013 season. Yeah, I mean, here's hoping that it can get uh, it can get fixed. You know, Adam Jones has been in a pretty similar position lately too, not being able to hit with a lot of power. Um, last time I checked, he was at point one four zero ISO. It's really interesting taking a look at his isolated power um, through his entire career. As you would expect, Adam Jones has done an amazing job in the middle of the plate and in the upper uh, strike zone right in the middle of the plate and, you know, has not done so well in the bottom portion of the zone. You don't say. Yeah. He struggles with that. that yeah, he, uh, he struggles away, with that. It? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that that's not too surprising. But it, what's really interesting so far this year is Adam Jones has seen 16 pitches um, or 16 uh, hits. Um in the middle of the plate, and um, only one of them has been for an extra base hit. Where nine of nine out of fourteen at the bottom zone actually shows isolated power. So it looks like his isolated power has dropped down, which makes me raise the question of if he's dropping his hands down and trying to loft the ball more, as opposed to do just hitting for power and going for doubles. Well, you know, it's interesting because the way you were drawing these numbers, you actually got some figures from Brooks Baseball. I know um, visuals. You can actually understand them. Yeah, and so I think it it would be helpful for our listeners if we went ahead and we posted this in the show notes. But if you can imagine, you know, the grid, uh, a nine, you know, a three by three box of the strike zone, and then uh, a row all the way around the strike zone, Jones is really making his money in the low and away portion of the zone. And low and away outside of the zone. Yep. Um, you know, and it makes us so crazy. He chases that pitch and he chases that pitch, but he has some success with that pitch as well. Cause when he connects, it's a pitch he can do something with so far this season. And again, that's against his historical um, perspective, but I think it's really interesting that Adam Jones is doing so poorly in the middle of the plate so far this season based off of his, his histor- historical numbers. You have to think that's eventually going to change. From your lips to his ears, I hope yeah. so. Um, I think it's also interesting to take a look at his batting average for his entire career, and you look at you know his numbers, and his batting average looks like it's a pretty much identical um, for all the pitches that he's seen. So it's not like oh he's just not hitting the ball as much anymore. His average is right there, and even if you look at his isolated power, you know. A lot of those people that have come out and said, oh, well, he just can't hit the breaking ball. A lot of those pitches that he's been failing at have also been just, you know, fastballs and cutters. You know, so this is not just, you know, breaking balls that he's missing. He's also just missing lately in terms of fastballs and cutters. I think eventually he gets it all together. I think we're just waiting and pacing our time. Things are about to turn around. And the way that he's approaching the bat now, as opposed to Saturday's game, which was absolutely infuriating for anybody that was watching that game, but I see good things ahead for Adam Jones in the next few weeks. Well, I, I certainly hope so. Like I said, these these guys aren't bums. You know, they're good ball players. Adam Jones, Chris Davis, all, all these guys that have had their struggles this season are good players, and and I do expect that they can do good things by the end of the season. The mo- as we complain about Jones, it's funny because at the end of the season, you'll look at his numbers and you go, oh, well, that, he had a pretty good season. Absolutely. But when when you watch each individual at bat, when you watch each individual game, it makes you crazy. The thing that that can't continue to happen one through nine in the lineup is missed opportunities with runners in scoring position. You know, the Orioles will get guys on first and second with nobody out and piss away the inning and they haven't scored any runs by the time they're done. And that cannot continue. It's not even a matter of isolated power at that point, Scott. It's a matter of, you know, clutch, that magic, uh, you love clutch, not being able to drive runners in when you have the opportunities. And how many of those do you see in a game where either your pitcher has just given up runs or your pitcher has just hung up a zero and then you disappear as a lineup. Right. But Orioles fans, I want you to focus more on isolated power because that's who this team really is. This team is not a team that is going to take walks. They are not going to have it high on base percentage. However, they're going to live and thrive with their power. And if their ISO remains low this season, the Orioles are going to have a tough time. But historically speaking... It looks like it's going to bounce back soon enough. So you're just looking for them to regress to the mean. 
No, 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 no. I'm saying that if for the past few seasons they are at 0.170 in terms of ISO and they're only at 0.12, we're about to have a power explosion pretty soon. Okay. Um, speaking about explosions of power, well, let's just say that someone displayed some uh, supremacy this past week. Oh, no. What is this? That was B.B. King singing You're the Boss. You didn't even have the decency to go to Elvis? No, I just had to switch things up a little bit. So, Jake, you picked the simplistic stat of walks last week. I selected Chris Davis. You selected Nick Marcakis. Both were a top two in the given stat, but I was victorious with Chris Davis having five walks to Nick Marcakis's two walks. Wait, 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 wait. Nick Marcakis was in the top two with two walks? Yes. Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Jake, I'm going to switch up a little bit. Um, I'm going to go to another sabermetric stat for you because I know how much you love them. Love it. I am going to go with SWSTK percent. Gesundheit. Yeah. Which is swinging strike percentage. All right. We're talking about percentage and not number of swings, right? We're going with percentage. That is significant yes. with my picks. Yes. And I'm going to go with batters. So swinging strike sure. percentage batters. I'm going to pick pitchers too, but I'm going to go with swinging strike percentage. What about pitchers who will bat in the Pirate Series? We're going to ignore people that are, you know, one or two plate appearance players. Well, I want to go with starters, okay? All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you who I'm gonna pick, and you okay. can tell me. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know if I can. I'm gonna nix it or not. Okay. I want to go with Caleb Joseph. Okay, that's. Well, I'll give you Caleb Joseph. Okay, that's fine. You take. I, I think that is a safe pick. That's fine. You take Caleb Joseph. I'm gonna go with the obvious. Nick Markakis. Really? Absolutely. Huh. He would not have been in my top three. Nick Markakis again with his plate eye and discipline at the plate. You know, swinging strike. Swinging strikes is different than swinging outs. So swinging strike percentage, Nick Markakis. Okay. I mean, I'm sure you've looked this up, and you can tell me that he's he's traditionally high, but that, again... He's pretty good. Again, from my... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Are we, are we, are we trying to be good? I, I thought this was... Oh, yeah, we're trying to be good, I thought. Oh, you want to go bad? Yeah, I thought the whole point was who swings the most oh, we can at go, strikes. We can go bad. I, I can pick the worst. Yeah, that's okay. why I went with... Ke- that's why I went with Caleb Joseph. Okay, that's fine. You're going to go with Caleb Joseph? Well, this is your category. You tell me what you want. We'll, we'll go with the worst. You're going to go with Caleb Joseph? Yes. Um, I'm going to go with Nelson Cruz then. Okay. Okay. I can see where you're going with that. Typically, power hitters normally have a higher swinging strike percentage. So I'm going to go with Nelson Cruz that's going to have the highest swing strike percentage. All right. I like what you got going on yeah. there. Um, so, Jake, I've got Nelson Cruz. You've got... Caleb Joseph, who will own it? And with that, Jake, I think it's time that uh, we go to the next segment. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's that time. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. In this segment, we go ahead and identify over the past week who has been great, who has been not so good, and who has embarrassed us as Orioles fans. I'm going to go first. We do this mostly so that Scott can rant with his ugly at the end. His rants far exceed the quality of my own. And so for my good this week, I'm going to go with Bud Norris. I've been very impressed with Bud Norris. He's, he's turning into... As Bert Rohde would say, big bad bud. He's been a very dependable starter. And this week, he turned in uh, two great pitching performances. Over two starts, he came away with two losses, 
but those two losses came over 15 innings pitched where he walked three, struck out eight, and he had a whip of .80. But Norris has been very good this week. Yeah, I like him, and I like the uh, the heart on the Detroit game. I liked it. Um, but I think we need to give a good to Chris Tillman. Anytime you throw a complete game shutout, you should always get a tip of the cap. Chris Tillman, you're the good for the week. Yeah, it was, it was a great start and desperately needed. All right, my bad for this week is going to be Nick Markakis. And Nick Markakis had a rough week. He was just four for 28 with two walks, two strikeouts, and no extra base hits. And again, top of the lineup's not producing. The middle of the lineup can't drive anybody in. Nick Markakis had a bad week. My bad for the week is going to go to Tommy Hunter. Blew the save on Tuesday night at night at the yard for section 336. That was so brutal to yeah. watch in person. And um, lost his job possibly in the process. Eh, we'll, see. we'll see. But Tommy Hunter, whenever you give up a three-run homer to Miguel Cabrera with two outs in ninth inning, that's bad. So Tommy Hunter, I'd say you're on notice, but I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. You might be on the eighth inning. Yes. All right, my ugly for this week is a complicated one. Scott, I kind of trolled on Twitter this week. You got bad. Yeah, I, you I, bad. I just want to apologize right now yeah. because I was kind of in fuego. We watched that game, and I got so angry at the situation. Look, I don't have a problem with hitters getting hit. Uh, hit by pitch does not bother me. The game polices itself. Right. You see something you don't like, you respond. A team hits one of your guys, you turn around, you respond. I get that. The thing that made me crazy is the way Tory Hunter responded to being, being hit by Bud Norris. And he mouthed off, and he approached the mound on his walk to first, and he had an outburst that I don't understand how he wasn't kicked out of the game. I, just, I don't understand it. And this is not me being a homer. This is me saying that that kind of behavior puts your teammates at risk because if – Tory Hunter says, I'm going to whoop your ass. Why isn't the next pitcher going to try to put a baseball in the, in the numbers of the next hitter or in the next game or, or what have you? You know, look at Zach Greinke when he got his clavicle broken in a brawl. Yep. Because hotheads couldn't contain themselves. It's not the beanball that bothers me. It's the behavior afterward by professional athletes that is unsafe. It's unsafe for the players, for the spectators, for the security personnel. It's reckless is what it is. And so I, uh, I started the trolling on Twitter with Tiger fans, um, who were all about defending Tory Hunter. And, you know, I said, Hey, if it was my guy, I would be embarrassed by that. And if it was my guy, I would hate the way he responded. So you go to the Justin Verlander game, who after he gets himself a five run lead throws behind Nelson Cruz and might add, not sure that he didn't try to hit him. What did, what did Nelson Cruz do? He stayed in the batter's box. You heard what he said, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. But he stayed in the batter's box. Yeah, and grabbed his junk. And grabbed his <laughs> junk. If the most aggressive thing a player is going to do to another is grab his junk, standing 60 feet away, yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, so my ugly this week goes to Tory Hunter, and it goes to Tigers fans for defending that behavior. Okay. My leaf of the week is um, something I've really been thinking about and I was trying to justify all this week and I just can't justify it. It is the handling of Kevin Gossman throughout this entire season. Kevin Gossman being put onto a 70 pitch count in Norfolk have made absolutely no sense to me. Yes, I understand what they were trying to do at the beginning of the season was saying, oh, you know, we're going to try to limit his pitch count so that he's available. But honestly, he's a young pitcher. He should be perfectly fine. I'm not you know, this is a situation where you could have easily got him up in higher pitch counts and then basically spaced out his work at a later point. Or else that made no sense in terms of the minor league. And I think it definitely hurt him on Wednesday's game. Once he started getting around 80 pitches, he lost complete, lost complete control. And that basically brought him out earlier in that game. I think he also lost a lot of control when he was at 50 or 60 pitches as well. I think that was a major detriment to him. Um, you know, control and command has been off. It was interesting thinking about it about it a few years ago too where the Orioles basically said to him well you know what you're throwing too many strikes so we want you to pitch around the zone and now you've got a pitcher that had a great um, K per walk rate in previous seasons now with a higher walk rate than he's ever had in his entire career and then bringing him up on Wednesday to get shellacked by the Tigers and then have him go on a road trip 
out to Kansas City so he can talk to Buck for 30 minutes and then bring him back to Norfolk makes absolutely no sense. This whole situation is just weird and strange and just it makes no sense to anybody. It's ugly. And the Orioles need to do a better job on handling their top prospects in their organization or else we're going to be left with another Adam Lowen. Or Daniel Cabrera. Or Daniel Cabrera. Or Hayden Penn. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, Orioles, you're on notice. You're ugly. I, I have nothing more to add to that. However, Scott, if you'll indulge me for a moment, may I blow the save with some uniform nerdness? Absolutely. All right. I love throwback uniforms. Okay. Love them. And we're going to be treated this season to three throwback dates. The first that we just watched in Kansas City Black Sox. was a, a throwback to the Negro Leagues, uh, the Kansas City Monarchs versus the uh, Baltimore Black Sox. I thought the uniforms were great. I especially like the fact that there were so many players wearing stirrups rather than wearing high socks. Yeah, um, they're just they're so well done. We're also going to get to see um, the Orioles play as the Elite Giants. Um, in the uh, civil rights game against the Astros. I believe that's in Houston. It is. And then, again, later on when we go to play the Cubs uh, at Wrigley, we're going to throw all the way back to 1994 um, for the ornithologically correct bird. I love uniforms. I love throwbacks. It's cool that the Orioles are doing um, three this season, and I I can't wait to see uh, how they look. Well, with that, Jake, um, I think it's time we say... Goodbye to Baltimore. So we'll see everyone next week, Jake. With that, I will bid you a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.